Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. So it was the first youth camp I ever was asked to speak at when I first arrived to New Zealand a long, long time ago. And I went to this marquee. It was a marquee out in the middle of a paddock, big lights, big crowd of kids there. And the, the director of the camp, he cracked me up. He was doing everything he could to hype up this crowd. And he had his Bible and he was stomping up and down the stage. Yes, God. Yes, God. Do you want more faith? Do you want more faith? And the people were like, and they kept on going until they replied, yes, God, you want more faith? Big faith, God, big faith. And then finally people said, yeah, yeah, big faith. And then they got hyped up, hyped up, hyped up. They got hyped up, big faith, big faith. The music team came up, started playing. And then the camp director, I was sitting kind of in the front, he motioned to me to go to the back. So we went to the back of the marquee with all the kids are, are now singing. He goes, okay, Pastor Brian, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get there. I want these kids to leave this camp with more faith, big faith. Yes, God. Yes, God. So this is what I want you to do. And I'm like, you're Kiwi? Really? Are you from here? Because this doesn't sound Kiwi. And he goes, so their band's going to start playing, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. And as they're playing it, I'm going to invite you to come up as the man of God, anointed to bring the message. And you're going to run up the middle. And as you're running up the middle, I want you to high five everybody as you're coming down. And I want you to high five going, big faith. Yes, God, big faith. What a nightmare that was. <laughs> it was such a nightmare. I, so much of my church experience has been kind of encapsulated in that story. Real faith, no matter what you're going through, no matter what is going on around you, if you really love Jesus, if you really trust God, you're going to run up and down your hallway, in your house and down the street, no matter what's going on, yelling, yes, God, yes, God. And I was hit in the face once again. I will never be a good Christian. I just won't because I just can't do that. I don't know if that is faith. I don't know if I've ever had it. I don't know if I'll ever have it, if that's what faith is. I don't want this morning for you to be one of those mornings where you walk out of here and you're heading off home for lunch or cafes, have coffee with friends, and you start thinking, man, I just wish, I wish I had more faith because I think that's the wrong question. It's, it's the wrong plea. Today, I want to give us a glimpse, a glimpse of how just maybe, just maybe, things can be different. Things can be just a little bit different. So to make sure that we're on the same page, I want to lay out five definitions of faith, just kind of a foundation for us. To, and then we're going to build on that foundation, okay? Five foundations of faith. First of all, number one, faith and doubt are incompatible. All right. If you have faith, faith is the absence of doubt. If you have doubt, then you probably don't have a lot of faith in that situation at that point. Number two, faith and fear are incompatible. In fact, I've been taught and I've had lots of speakers and, and, and traveling guest speakers come in and evangelists say that fear will drive away your faith. And likewise, in the reverse, great faith will take away all your fear. Number three, faith pleases God. Doubt angers God. I look at Hebrews 11.6, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. I've learned from church that God is happy with us as people of faith, faithful people God loves. Number four, we all need more faith. We all need more faith. I'm not going to have you raise your hand in the air and, and tell me if you want no faith, because that's a stupid question. We can all have faith. No one's going to sit there and go, oh, no, no, couldn't have another bite of faith. I'm full right there. Faith is one of those things that we all need more of. It's like closet space, right? We all need about two more meters of closet space. I just lined up all my shoes nice and easy. We all just need a little bit more closet space. We all need just a little bit more faith. That's how it is. And then number five, lastly, 
all this is baloney. It's rubbish. It's all rubbish. If you're taking notes, just scratch it out because it's rubbish. These are things that preach well. They preach really well, actually. They sound great, but they're wrong. They're cultural definitions of faith. That's the problem. They're cultural definitions. And yeah, we could pull out verses and even make a faith series on those things. And we could pull out verses that prove all that and teach entire messages and all of our points. Why you need more faith. Why you shouldn't doubt. Why you can't have fear. Why you need to have yes God moments in life. And while those definitions sound good and preach good, they're cultural. They're not biblical. So I want us to relook at this a little bit. There's no way that God expects us that no matter what you're going through, no matter what storms in life you're, you're wading through at the moment, to raise your hands in the air and say, yes, God. Love that medical diagnosis I just got on Friday. Yes, God. Love the lack of finances and how I lost my job during COVID. Yes, God. Love the continual problems I have with my family. Yes, God. It's not like that. It's crazy. That's crazy. Faith is simply trusting God enough to step out. Faith is simply trusting God enough to say, I don't get it. I don't understand it, God. I don't know why this is all happening, but I'm still going to be who you asked me to be. I'm still going to do what you've asked me to do. I will not quit. And then you step out in that. It's belief in action. That's what faith is. So what I want to do is I want to look at two biblical stories, two stories that just kind of define for us what faith looks like and what faith could, could be, could look like in the midst of fear and doubt and questioning and anxiety. So the first story is found in Mark 9. We're going to start at verse 14 if you want to follow along. Uh, Mark 9. Uh, so what has just happened, Jesus has just taken a couple of disciples up onto the mountain. It's called the story of the transfiguration. And while they're up there, Jesus just shines. The Bible talks about that lightning shoots from them. And it's like he's shown like the sun. It's all over the place. And they're like, oh. and then Elijah and Moses show up on each side of him. And these Jewish boys here, uh, they go, oh, our superheroes are here. What can we do for all? Can we build you all a tent? And at that point, God shows up and says, no, you don't treat my son Jesus like you treat everybody else. And it all stops. And as they're walking back down to the village, off the mountain, Jesus kind of says to them, look, you'll get this at Easter. I wouldn't talk about it right now. Um, and as they head in, they find that the disciples are in an argument with other religious leaders. And this is what we read happens. Starting at verse 14. Mark 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit and has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied to them. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. See, the disciples had done everything they could to heal this boy. And, and I don't know if they laid hands on him. I don't know if they walked around in circles praying, Bada Yamaha, Shira Bada Mishibishi. I don't know if they said, I don't know, let's spit in the ground and make some mud. Jesus did it, it worked for him. Let's try that. I don't know what they did. All we do know is that it didn't work. And the religious leaders found a point now to argue. See, most people don't take pop shots at Jesus. 
They don't take pop shots directly at our Jesus. They take pop shots at us. It happens all the time. When we just can't seem to live the life that we say we know how to live. And the disciples are getting chewed up because they can't work miracles. And Jesus enters and says, what's going on? And the father steps up and he goes, man, it's my boy, my boy. He's been robbed. He's been robbed of life. Great phrase. He's been robbed. Same phrase John, uh, sorry, Jesus uses in John 10, verse 10. A thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come to give you life and life in its fullest. See, the enemy's job is just like that of the crowd. He's not going to take pop shots at God. He can't. The enemy can't. But he's going to take pop shots at us. He's going to take pop shots at God's kids. His job is to steal, to rob, to steal our joy, to steal our hope, to steal our contentment. He's a robber. He's a thief. He wants to destroy us. And often he'll use our own desires, our own lust, our own sin nature to do it. I mean, how many here have been robbed, right? You've been there and you know you've been robbed. How many of us have gone through some of the most atrocious tragedies done to us, not because of anything we did, but because of someone else's sinful choice. And that has robbed you. We get the feeling behind this. How many of us have robbed ourselves? My own stupid decisions, my own stupid choices. I own that pit. I dug that pit and I willingly jumped into that pit. No one jumped, no one pushed me. My own addictions continue to enslave me and I continue to go back to them. My own bitterness, my own anger, I've been robbed. It's a great phrase, because that's what those things do. And we sit here and we know the injustice of that. The joy, the contentment, the peace, the life that we know we're supposed to have, gone, taken, given away, or, or never really got activated in the first place. And Jesus says in the midst of that feeling, with that father feeling all those feelings, says, bring the boy to me. Verse 20, so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Well, from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can just do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, just a couple of sentences, but man, look at the picture this passage paints. Look at the world that it puts together for us. How long have you been like this? Man, all his life, all his life. How, how long have you been struggling with what you've been struggling with? Well, Brian, you know what? It, it, did, it didn't just start last month. It's been as long as I can remember. How long have you been having these family issues, mate? Ah, oh, mate, it goes way back. How long have you been having this particular marriage problem? Brian, I, I can't remember not having them. We've all had those conversations with people. This hasn't just started happening. It's been going on since childhood, we find out. And the gravity of this situation, the spirit tries to throw him into fire and to water. Now think about where this is happening. Think about that for just a second. This is a first century town next to the Sea of Galilee. How big of a part does fire and water have to play? Everything, all the time. Every time you cook, every time you have to heat the house, it's a fire right 
in the middle of the living room. Every time you have to go buy food, where do you go? You go to the beach with the boats that they bring the food in for everybody. Every time this family goes anywhere, somebody has to hold the hand of this child just to keep an eye on the boy. Man, we can't cook at home. We can't heat the house without standing between him and the fire because he just throws himself into it every time. And in the midst of that history, the father's openness, if, Jesus, if you can do anything, anything, take pity on us. And in verse 23, Jesus says, if I can, everything is possible for the one who believes. If I can, just a moment ago, I was lightning boy up on top of the mountain. If I can, ask the 12-year-old girl who died and I came back and laid hands on her and her lungs filled up with air and she's alive again. If I can, ask the thousands and thousands of people that I fed with a half-used pack of buns from Pack and Save. That was a cool trick. If I can, who do you think I am? I'm the son of God. Have you seen the tattoo on my thigh, he says. King of kings, Lord of lords, I can do anything if you believe if you believe. And the father gets his answer. He gets his answer. It's the answer he's been looking for. If you have faith, I can do it. And look what happens. Verse 24, immediately the boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And the crowd went, no, you blew it. You blew it. You just couldn't stop. Could you? If you just stopped it, I believe. Why'd you have to continue on with help me with my unbelief? And his wife is right there. He always goes on too much. He always says too much. No, 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 less is more. He just talk, 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 talk. Jesus gave you the answer. If you have faith. I have faith. Yes, God, help me. Because I'm not sure. Honest statement. But he lost the answer he was looking for. Because you've got to have more faith, right? For that kind of a situation. You can't have faith in doubt. You can't have faith in fear. You've got to have boldness and confidence when you approach God. And look at Jesus' response. Who do you think I am? I am the God Almighty. Go away from me and don't come back again until you have total faith. And bring the witch's broom and the eye of Newt and the dragon's tooth with you. Wait. Oh, sorry. sorry, that's the wrong story. I'm sorry. That, yeah, but that would make sense, right? Something's magical has got to happen. I must not be saying the right prayer. I must not be using the right words. I must not be praying long enough or, or, or passionately enough. But instead, look at what Jesus says. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and he came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. I believe. Help me, because I don't really believe. And Jesus says, perfect, that's all I need. That's all I need. He commands the spirit. The boy hits the ground, 
motionless. All the bystanders, the crowd's like, he killed them. He should have believed. Look what happened. He killed them. They're all talking because they don't know what's going on. And Jesus then raises the boy to his feet. And he looks at the family, looks at the parents and says, look, you're going to want to keep your eye on him all the time for a while. I get that. You don't have to. You're going to get really nervous when he runs ahead of you on the beach because you think he's going to throw himself and drown himself in the water. You don't need to worry about that. Let him run. And for a dad full of doubt, full of fear, who just took an honest chance with Jesus. So different. So different than the guest speakers that I've sat through. So different from the things I was taught growing up. Now, I love another version of the story as well. Matthew. Matthew chapter 17 writes about this story, but adds a few things to it. Matthew is a tax collector. He's an accountant, right? So he takes really good notes. And he's taking really good detailed notes. And he includes a whole lot more to the story than what Mark includes. Mark tells us that when the disciples ask, why can't we do it? Jesus says it only happens through prayer. Matthew expounds on this a little bit. Listen to what Matthew writes in verse 19 of chapter 17. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, this is where we get the idea that you have to have more faith, big faith. It's confusing, isn't it? Why couldn't we heal the boy, they asked. Well, because you have little faith, guys. What you really need, disciples, is little faith. And they're standing there going, I don't know what he means. You know what he means? I don't know. You ask him. I'm not asking him. He confuses me all the time. And so they're trying to figure out what he's meaning by this. Jesus isn't saying you need more faith. He's saying they needed a different kind of faith. Mark says you need to do it with prayer. In other words, you're doing this on your own. You're doing this all alone. You're working really hard to heal this boy, but you're doing it without me. See, prayer is about being with God. And that is what Jesus is saying. Your faith is small because your faith is in you to fix it, to change it, to make it better. Your faith needs to be in me but it doesn't have to be huge. Just the mustard seed will do, he says. Four times, four times in scripture, Jesus uses the mustard seed to compare our faith with. A mustard seed was the smallest seed known back in that time of the Mediterranean. It's like a, it's like a sesame seed. You know when you grab a Big Mac and you get a Big Mac and there are seeds on top, it's those little white seeds on top. They're so small that when you eat your Big Mac, you don't actually chew the seed, you just swallow it, but sometimes it gets stuck in your teeth, so you just rip off a piece of cardboard and you kind of pick it out in the middle of the restaurant and you don't care who's looking at you because you married this really beautiful woman, so like, who cares? And so that's what these seeds are like, teeny tiny little thing. And Jesus says, you're doing it on your own. You don't need more faith. You just need a different kind of faith. Now, I know this is an ideal. I know this is an ideal. I know God wants us to be people of complete faith. Of course he does. Without fear, without doubt. Of course he does. But we have numerous examples all through the Bible of people getting healed and being saved in the midst of doubt, in the midst of fear. And yes, he wants us to live a life with no doubt and no fear. Of course he does. But he understands that we have it. 
He understands we can't control what goes on around us. Look at scripture. He gets it. All through scripture, stories of people who also had to get it. David, a man after God's own heart, constantly, constantly cries out to God in doubt all through Psalms. I don't know where you are. I don't even know you exist. I don't have a clue what you're up to. I don't know if you even care about me, is a lot of those Psalms. And then he says, but you are still God. And I put my faith and trust in you. Prophets like Jeremiah, all the prophets, just big whiners, right? They're just big whiners. And they're like, everybody hates me and I'm going to die. And, and, and then, but all the way, God says, good, print it. That's good Bible. Right there, print that. Disciples freaking out in the storm. They're all going to die. They said, wake up Jesus and tell him we're all going to die. They're standing right there with Jesus, same boat. And they're still afraid. Jesus himself Asked by his father to die on the cross. He pleads out in fear and in doubt. Abba, daddy, is there not another way? Take this cup from me. But if not, your will be done. I'll follow you anyway. See, there is a doubt that paralyzes our walk with God. There is a doubt um, where you doubt his word. You doubt him. And, and you don't take a step forward. There is a doubt in God where we try to push for something or fix something ourselves or change it ourselves or punish another ourselves and, 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 and kind of move in with our own ideas and our own abilities. And that's talked against all through Scripture. But there are countless examples in the Bible where people are full of doubt and fear and they step out anyway. And they trust God in the midst of it. And that seems to be applauded in Scripture. See, the opposite of faith is not fear. It's not doubt. It's inactivity. That's the opposite of faith. Even Jesus himself went on the cross, quotes David, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound like a yes God moment to you? No. But he didn't quit. The opposite of faith is inactivity. Faith is that when you are full of fear, full of doubt, you still act and walk and talk and, and, and be a person of obedience to Jesus. Faith is more than a belief. It's a verb. It's a verb. It's, it's much more than a noun. It's your belief in action. That's real faith. That's why the book of James writes, even demons believe in Jesus. They've seen God. They know all about Jesus. You can know all the facts about the Bible. You can know all about Jesus, all the stories. And you would then at that point have the same faith as a demon. Real faith is not head knowledge. Real faith is not Bible studies about Jesus. It's not our understanding of God. Real faith is that you are obedient to what God says, regardless of what's going on. That's why Jesus says people will know you're my followers, by how you love others, not by how you coerce others or how you manipulate others or how you talk about others, but how you follow my commands, how you love others. If you love me, you will obey what I say. And God gets it. That's hard sometimes. He fully understands that's extremely difficult to do. But he says, a mustard seed faith, that will get you there. My, um, my daughter, Sydney, she's 19. She's at university now. But when she was about 
five, I guess, five. Uh, we're on holiday. I was on holiday with her, and we're, we're sitting in the hot pools right on the edge of a lake. And there's this jetty that goes out into the lake. And all the big kids will go out to the very end of the jetty and jump off the pole into the real deep, dark, cold water. It's a cold lake. It's real windy. And Cindy's watching and watching and watching. goes, Daddy, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. Come out with me. I want to jump. And I said, you sure? And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I take her hand. And we walk out to the end of the jetty. And as we go out, the farther you go out in the jetty, the deeper the water is. So we're walking out. I go, you tell me when to stop when you're ready. Tell me when to stop. Tell me to stop. Cindy, do you want to stop? Cindy, are you ready to stop yet? We get about halfway out. She goes, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'll, I'll do it right here. So I go, okay. So I step out into the water. I'm about waist deep. And she's up on the jetty. And, and she's there. And she's got a little life vest and floaty things on. And she's like, like a big bubble. And she's up there. I, okay, so you jump. I'm going to count to three. You jump. One, two, three. And she goes, no, 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 daddy. daddy I, can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Okay, it's okay. It's all right. Stay here. It's cold. I'm standing in the water. Everyone's watching. I go, sweet, it's okay. I was a lifeguard. You're safe with me. Trust me. I'm your daddy. I'll never let anything hurt you. You can do this. I go, on three. One, two, three. No, 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 daddy. No, 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 no. And I said, Cindy, do you want to go back to the shallow a little bit more? She goes, yeah, yeah. We slowly inch back for about 45 minutes. And the water is getting lower and lower. I'm getting colder and colder and colder. I'm standing there and I'm standing there in my togs with this dad bod. Nobody on the shore wants to see this. And we're coming through and we get to the point where I'm finally at about calf level water. And I'm like, Sydney, you can do this. We've been out here a long time. So you want to just quit and go, no, no, I'm going to do it. I go, okay. Then you come out and count. And as I'm like freezing cold. And I'm getting really kind of irritable. And I'm trying to be loving and gentle. Teaching moment, teaching moment, teaching moment. And like, okay, so you jump. You ready? One, two, three. And she jumps. And as she jumps, I grab her midair. She doesn't even hit the water. I stomp out of the water to the side of the thing. I put her on a bench by the water. And I said, don't you ever embarrass me like that again. I was a lifeguard for goodness sake. You don't ever doubt me again. We haven't talked since. And of course, that's not what I did. What do you do as a dad? She jumps, you grab her, you sweep her feet into the water. You hold her, Sydney, you were awesome. That is so great. And you cheer and you lift her up. You were scared to death and you still jumped. You didn't want to jump and you still jumped. You never jumped that high before and you still jumped. You are awesome. And that's how God is with us. God would love it if no matter what's going on in our life, we could just walk out to the edge of the jetty and jump. He would love that. And the more we do, the easier it gets. But he also understands how scary the water is. He knows you've never had to jump from that high of a ledge before. He knows you never had to jump into that dark, that unknown situation like that ever before. He knows that no matter what you're going through, he knows it's painful. He knows it's scary. He knows that it's the pain and the fear and the frustration that keeps you from stepping out, that you've never had to be on that type of jetty before, and it's very dangerous waters. He gets how painful it is. He understands how paralyzing fear can be. We don't have a God who's going to take you and sit you down on a picnic table and berate you because you didn't trust him in the midst of fear and doubt. Instead, we have a God who's going to celebrate 
And he's going to say, man, I can't believe you, Brian. You are a son of Adam. You are a broken human being. You, and you still stepped in the midst of that crazy situation. You still trust me in the midst of fear and screaming and whining. You still stepped out and trust me. We worship and love and follow a God that celebrates that. But fear? Fear that keeps you from stepping out to God, from trusting God, from keeping an eye on, on, on yourself, a fear that keeps you, um, instead of keeping your white linens white, a fear that makes you think you gotta get dirty. See, faith is knowing you don't have to get dirty because Jesus is the warrior to take care of everything on your behalf. So where you will not take the next step of, of obedience, that's a fear that keeps you from following Jesus. A, a situation that where you will not trust and follow and be and do what God asks, that's a fear that keeps God from acting in your life. There's great reason to doubt. And I understand this sense of situations that we all have lots of different reasons. The, our past betrayals, our past experiences with religion or church give you reason to doubt. No matter the problem, no matter the situation, no matter how crazy hard it looks, God can handle it because God is bigger, right? We looked at this. God is so much bigger. You just got to believe. Oh, I believe, Jesus. Help me with my unbelief. And Jesus says, perfect. That's all I need. Let's get on with this. So what do you do? What's this mean in real life? This is what I think it means in real life. Number one, don't deny your doubt. Don't deny your doubt. Don't pretend that you are more religious than you are. Don't pretend you are more spiritual than you are. Don't fight it. Own it. Own it. I am doubting right now. And then secondly, step out anyway. Step out. What's he telling you to do? What step of obedience is he telling you to do? To love that child, to love that spouse, to love that coworker? It seems like an unsurmountable situation to fix. If he's telling you to do it, do the right thing anyway. What's he asking you to leave? What's that thing you keep going to for comfort to numb the pain? To the, the drive to get even? The thing you want to do to escape that horrific reality that's in your life right now, leave it. Yeah, it'll hurt. And you'll think that you could have done things better than what God's going to do. But step away in the midst of fear and doubt and anger and confusion. And then number three, finally, this is real biblical, real theological, get over it. <laughs> get over it. Don't beat yourself up over it. Don't wallow in it. Follow and love and accept the grace and the forgiveness and the power of Jesus and live that life for him. Um, God does really well with the storms of life. He kind of knows how to calm them down. He's really good at this. When we're stuck in midst and fear, he shines because we're looking for him at that time. He's forgiven you. Forgive yourself and live his way. See, with faith, it's not the amount that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. Jesus doesn't teach us like a, a five steps to getting more faith. There's not a passage like that in the Bible anywhere because it's not about the amount. The amount. He's saying, stop having faith in you and start trusting in me. Walk in obedience with me regardless of your situation. It's not about the amount of faith you have. It's about the object. 
There's a story on the internet. If you find it on the internet, you know it's true, right? So we're on, there's a story on the internet about um, there's a, a businessman that every, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, he has to get on a plane in Auckland and fly to Christchurch. And as he goes to the airport, he does this all the time. As he walks in, he does his little app thing and there's a coffee waiting for him. He picks up his coffee. He walks right on to Air New Zealand. As he walks in, everybody says, hello, Mr. Smith. Hello, Mr. Smith, because they all know him. It's the same flight. They have a paper waiting for him. He goes up to the front seat. He's always in row number one, comes right in, sits down, opens up the paper, has his coffee, and he's just relaxed and he starts reading the paper. Now, on this one particular flight, an older woman, elderly, she's in her 80s, never been on a plane before. All they are are big flying death traps. Why would anybody get on those things? So she's never been on it before. Her sister is dying. Her sister lives in Christchurch. She lives in Auckland. And for the first time ever, she has to get on a plane to go be with her sister. So this woman's kids help her onto the plane. She's scared to death. She's shaking and they help her onto the plane and she's walking very timidly and they take her to a seat and her seat happens to be right next to Mr. Smith who does this three times a week for the last five years. So they put her down, they sit her down and the, the plane allows her kids to set her down gently and they give her a little kiss saying, mom, you're gonna be just fine. It's good that you're going. We'll call you when you get there. So she sits down. And the moment she sits down, she has her white knuckles on the seat. She's grabbing on her eyes, are closed. And she's just kind of going, we think she's praying. We'll say she's praying and not doing anything else. And she says, and she won't move. The flight attendant comes and say, ma'am, can I get you a cup of tea? No, 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 no. And the whole time she's hanging on with dear life, arms clenched, knuckles white. Hang on the whole time. The whole fight she gets here, Mr. Smith, nice and calm, reading the paper, relaxed, has another coffee. Whole time she's there, she hates life. She never opens her eyes. It's the scariest thing she's ever had. Out of those two people, who lands first? You're like, I'm not going to answer this. This is a trick question. I'm not going <laughs> to. Exactly. They both land at the same time, right? Because their trust in that flight has nothing to do with them. It has to do with the object of that flight, the plane and the pilot. It has nothing to do with how they get to A to B. Their, their relaxed faith does not do anything about that flight. They land at the same time. How can that be fair? That can't be right. Because it's not about how much faith we have. It's about who we put our faith in. And that's how God is. It doesn't matter what we go through as an individual, as a family, as a church, as a city, as a nation, as a pandemic and COVID. We put our faith in God regardless. Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz. Join us again next week at Central Speaks.